Redwood Soundwell. Welcome to this week's episode of Watch New Evil. This is Matt. And this is Zach. And this is Biggs. We're going to be talking about our 100th episode, kind of a retrospective of the 100 episodes of Watch No Evil. This episode was really kind of an idea. We, as we were just getting closer and closer and closer to 100 episodes, we were trying to think of things that we wanted to do. And the idea that I pitched that I still think we should do eventually. Have you ever seen The Circle? Yes. I wanted to try and do an episode where we get back every guest we've ever had. Everyone watches The Circle, and then every three minutes we vote someone out of the episode. <laughs> Just boot them out of the Zoom window? Yep. <laughs> I love I, that, dude. I, I love that idea. And I was like, Matt, this is going to take months of coordinating. <laughs> yeah, that was that was really the issue. So uh, if you're listening to this, we nailed it down to the final three. Uh, we already did it. Uh, everybody's been voted out. It's just the three of us left. And we thought instead of uh, trying to turn against each other as they do at the end of the circle, thought we would just do a retrospective of, of 100 episodes of Watch No Evil. I got to start with the number one question, which is... What was your favorite movie that we watched for this podcast? And of course, like I put that like the first thing at the top and I'm like, this is impossible to actually say, right? I think I the, the way that I would actually like rephrase that, my favorite that I didn't think would be my favorite, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just movies that I thought were like really fun to talk about. Some of the some of the ones, the Fear Street franchise was like, I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but it's like it's up there. That was like really fun to talk about. We had Jacob Tatel on as a guest for that one. He was like a huge fan of that that run. It was like really trendy at the time. And I always kind of approach those trendy things, especially like on Netflix, because we know yeah. we all know the like the stigma of Netflix horror. Right. I approached that with some apprehension of like, man, this is like people are jumping on this ship and, you know, coming off it really fast, too. And um, I was like really pleasantly surprised. It was super fun to talk about and super fun to like speculate week by week of like, where is this headed and how are these all interconnected? Two other ones. Perfect Blue, which I know, Alex, I think you guys had done that. On we Cosmic did. Yeah. As well. That was just like that one blew my mind. It was just so ripe for, I think, what we do on this podcast. It was like probably still one of my favorite episodes that like just had a good time thinking about that movie and like watching the movie and actually like talking about it and also mandy mandy was amazing i it's probably like in my top five horror movies now and like just talking about that with jerry who's like a mandy super fan mandy was nuts i didn't see that yeah. movie coming when i finally got around to watching it i didn't know what it was except for Nicolas Cage. I did not expect a two-hour metal video, and I loved it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I I think that for for me with this podcast, especially, I've always watched horror movies. I've always looked for horror movies to watch to try and find new ones. And with this podcast, uh, it, it actually kind of works in two ways, which is that every once in a while we run into this thing where we're trying to decide what movies we're going to have for the season. We always try to balance out the season, uh, but there's a little bit of, of back and forth uh, as to what we're actually going to do. And so you get the opportunity on one side to really dig for 
movies that either have a reputation that we haven't seen or in some cases we get to return to old favorites like what i what i like so much about this podcast is the opportunities when both Zach and I are going into a movie that neither of us have seen before, but that we've heard a lot about that we are excited to watch. But I also really love just getting to share a movie that I really like with other people. And it starts out with uh, obviously sharing the movie with Zach. And then we get to share the movie with uh, people who listen to the podcast and and people who might not go see these movies normally, even ones that are a, a little bit, lesser known but the big ones too it's surprising to think how many people had not seen the thing that like i talk about all the time and so to get them to first of all listen to the podcast episode that we do on the thing and then go back and watch the movie uh i i think is kind of a a really great way to introduce it to people that wouldn't go out of their way to watch it in the first place but uh, yeah, I think that the joy for me in this podcast is I get to see new movies, but I also get to share some of my favorite ones. Episodes that I really liked to do, I, I of course go back all the time to our Hellraiser episode. <laughs> it's the reason um, I'm here. That, that was just a really fun episode. And it, that was a movie that I hadn't seen before we watched the episode. So, or before we recorded the episode, but it, it had always been on my bucket list. Um and I, of course, knew all about the characters, all about the lore, all about the story, but I had never actually taken the time to watch the movie. And I think that that shows up, especially with a lot of the more modern horror figures. So you've got like Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger so deeply entrenched into the zeitgeist that you really don't have to watch those movies to know everything about those movies. And so it really gave an opportunity for us to go through and actually watch these movies because you grow up with the characters, but you don't grow up necessarily with the movies. And so getting to go back and watch all of those movies and actually really pay attention to them and think of them differently was such an exciting experience for me. So I I really liked that we did the classic kind of monster ones. Well, in terms of my favorite movie that you guys covered, it's The Thing. But the episode that I loved the most outside of ones that I was in just because it's fun talking to you guys was the reanimator. And that was specifically because when I was asked to be on the show for the first time, I did this big run through of all your back shows. And the first one I picked was reanimator because I think it might have been the newest one that week. But also, it's just one of my favorite cult classics. Like it's so insane that it just really makes me laugh. And and, uh, I'm always trying to talk about it. It was one of those things that most people hadn't seen. And I didn't know that there was a cult classic in the 80s around it or the 90s until the internet really kind of took shape. And then I started to learn like, oh, other people know this. And hearing you two break it down, like talk about uh, like the levels of dead, (laughs) like not just in that movie, but in other stuff. And then also just like really breaking down the character of Herbert West and talking about the stuff around it. And I'm like, this is great. This is the kind of stuff I like to talk about. And so I immediately connected to you guys. So that particular episode has a soft spot in my heart just because it was the first one I listened to uh, that you two were on. 
Um, I also really liked X, like listening to that one because specifically because Matt, you made Zach so uncomfortable so many times and yeah. it made me laugh so many times. That's the whole purpose of this podcast. <laughs> Correct. My goal is to get Zach quaking in his boots. He's horrified of what I'll say next. And sometimes it's, you know, the perversions, but sometimes it's because I'm putting him on the spot. Like, Zach, name one member no, of the no. Wu-Tang Clan that's not Dirty Old Bastard. RZA? R- Riz- oh, I was going to say there's Gizzo too, right? Oh, oh, I'm learning. See, he's got it. I- I'm learning. Every time Alex is on here, it's just like, there's you know, a new... I learn one more. <laughs> learn like, one more member of the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> Um, it's so funny, Alex, that you mentioned Reanimator because that, like, I was I was compiling this list like really quickly. It was helpful for me to like go back and like list out every season episode that we've done, just so like I could kind of reflect back on it. And I remember typing in Reanimator, I was like, "Oh yeah, we did that," and I'm like, "That was a really forgettable episode." <laughs> and I, I guess it wasn't. Yeah, it's just that like Levels that again. was. It's also funny that we did Frankenstein after Reanimator, um, so I feel like that was probably not a good move. But also, like we just do what we want here, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's that's the beauty of it. Is like Matt was like, "Hey, Reanimator, Zach, you haven't seen Reanimator? Like, let's do that. I love this movie. It's funny." Again, we were like trying to balance out the season of doing like something that was a little more like creature featurey. We were winding down our second season. It's, I feel like that's where we like actually started hitting our stride. Is like. Our second season, because like we had a bunch of bangers that season. It was kind of insane what we did that season. Yeah. Like we did the the whole like Black History Month thing with uh, Candyman, Us, Ganja Has, Antebellum, and that was after the uh, Plano Evil, and that was after this, the the uh, holiday season ones that we did, and that was after all the Alfred Hitchcock stuff. This is like kind of spanning into season one, and I'm going back now, but like that was just like. We forced ourselves into a lot of boxes, and I think as like we opened up in season two, it was like, wow, now we can like have a little bit more fun rather than like we have to talk about this movie <laughs> kind of thing. We were just like, well, let's pick some some wild ones. I think too, we started to really carefully curate exactly what episodes we were going to be doing each season because when we started episode one. It was, uh, we don't know that this is going to work. We're just going to try it. We did it. We I edited it. We had a lot of fun. And then we did another episode, and then another episode, and then another episode. And so our first season is like, what, 20-some episodes before we officially called it? It's 20, exactly. Yeah, we called it the end of our, our first season. But that was because we had been just kind of doing this thing where it would be like, okay, we need to pick a movie that we're going to watch tonight that we're going to do on the podcast. <laughs> like we weren't planning the the episodes ahead. And then as we've kind of developed a bit further, we took a, a little bit more of a project management approach to it where we would like set out exactly what episodes we were wanting to do. Um, but in that we were able to also kind of curate a trajectory of where we had high episodes that were, like super energetic action movies and then lower episodes so that we could have like a good mix of horror, horror comedy, horror thriller, uh, well-known movies, well-respected movies, movies that were a little bit more underground or had a more significant cult following, um, things like that. And I got to say, I think that going back, my 
favorites are always going to be the really far out of the box ones. Like the further they go, the the happier that I am. I really loved Mandy. <laughs> I really loved Bo is Afraid. I adored Skinny Skinnamarink. Yeah, I me too. That, that movie was so good. And and I don't know that I would time watch to talk it. about the least favorite movies. <laughs> I I yeah I mean I I think that the I am the pretty thing that lives in the house stands as a monolith of movies that I did not enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah that movie is yeah I mean that that is literally like the the paragon of Netflix horror that I was talking about earlier is like that was such a Netflix horror and it's like. It was trying so hard, and I think that like that was back when we were kind of marketing the podcast is like we will balance like we we kind of start with this idea of like well we, every other week we'll do a good one like a one that we know is really really good, and then we'll do one that we know is shit. And that was the first one that we did like knowing that idea, and then we were just like well we just really like watching movies that we like <laughs> talking about movies that we like, so why would we go with that? Um, and that's not to say like that it's shit but it's <laughs> like I grew, I, I grew an appreciation for it uh a little bit more so than like my first time watching it and like kind of looking through it in this lens of like hey I have to talk about this and like actually like examine its its merits and demerits uh if you will and that was like actually like noticed some things um and I was like you know it's, this isn't that bad I still like I wouldn't go back and watch it that was one of my favorite titles for episodes. I can't. What was it? It was something mold, something new, something borrowed, something boo. Oh. <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> one of the was, longest uh, titles. My yeah. favorite title was "Hooked on the Ceiling." <laughs> that still yeah. makes me laugh. <laughs> what was so? That was Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. There was. I think it was the episode for Black Christmas because that one also involves getting hooked on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like the house mother or whatever yeah. of the sorority. And I actually wanted to use that title for that episode. And Matt goes, no, we should wait for Texas Chainsaw <laughs> yeah. to use that. So that <laughs> title was <laughs> was like a long time in the making. Yeah, well, we'd been holding and, on to that one. And I will say uh, to the history of the show, too, when I asked you guys to come on the network, uh, when we had the Zoom meeting, when you sat down with uh, me and Aaron over the computer, uh the hooked on a ceiling one for Texas Chainsaw Massacre had just dropped that day. And so I remember just like laughing about the title with you guys. <laughs> it's a really good one. Uh, going back to skin and really quick. Uh, that movie surprised me because I knew it was a weird experimental thing. And so I was sitting down, like, I don't know if I'm going to like this or not, but I'm going to give it a shot because it seems like a film Twitter kind of thing to do. You know, <laughs> Not that I've ever been on yeah. Twitter, but I, I try and hit those <laughs> movies sometimes too. And my stepdaughter, who was like 19, who I did not think would be into it at all, sat down and just quietly watched. And then about 45 minutes in, she goes, is this what this is? And I was like, yeah. She's like, it's really creepy. I was like, I know. And I didn't really get much out of it outside of the surface kind of vibes watching it and i really really dug that but then listening to your episode you were able to open it up so much in ways that i hadn't thought of and that's rare that i don't get to the themes of a movie when i'm listening to it and uh or when i'm watching it and you two just keyed in immediately on like the child neglect and things like that and it just hadn't even occurred to me so um, that's one of the things I think you guys do 
uh, pretty regularly and, and really well is just like break down little segments of the movie and really discuss them. And I enjoy that your show is not just walking through the plot, uh, kind of deconstructing, which I do, but you know, that, that is a typical movie podcast thing. You guys do something a little bit different and I think it's pretty entertaining what you're doing. Nice. Yeah. I mean, that episode, that, that, that episode it was hard was, I just wanted to do it so much because I watched the movie on my own, like sitting on my couch at 11 PM and just like when you're staring at a laptop with headphones in watching this super atmospheric, exclusively atmospheric movie, you just, I don't know. I, I just went through this really distinct experience for me for a horror movie. And I think that the thing that hit me so hard was that it felt so different than everything else that we did even the other atmospherically driven movies and so finding in that those kind of small things and and i'm a sucker for sound design and i think that the sound design of that movie played such a significant role in developing a level of intimacy between the movie and the listener that like headphones on you hear it just like this child's voice creeping into the back of your skull through your headphones and it just it absolutely it absolutely rocked me i thought it was such a cool movie watching experience and with all all of these movies right we talk so much about the content and the themes of the movie and sometimes i think that we um we miss a little bit in trying to analyze these movies we we miss a little bit of the like typical movie watching experience which is a Sometimes a communal practice, sometimes it's this individual practice. But for that movie, I'm I'm actually grateful that we didn't watch it together at first, that I just watched it on my own, because that movie requires your rapt attention uh, to to really just sink into it completely. It's like, uh, it's, to me, the biggest analog to that is there's a, a piece called Become Ocean um, by John... Adams? Is it John Adams or is it John Luther Adams? I, I think it was John Luther Adams. It's John Luther Adams. Yeah. So, Doesn't seem like a John Adams. No, thing. it's post-minimalist. But so um Become Ocean is this piece. It's supposed to have it's supposed to be like this environmental theme. Um, but what it what it does is it's just these really slow colors and textures of an orchestra piece. It's 40 minutes long, so it's a lot longer than t- the typical attention span of a of a contemporary orchestra work, but just being able to sit in it. And if you are trying to listen for melodies or if you're trying to listen for themes to come back over and over again, you don't get anything out of it. But what you get out of it instead is this kind of tapestry of shifting color that just happens over the course of time that just absolutely sucks you in. And and for me, <coughs> watching Skinamarink was the same experience as listening to that piece. So it, it's just a totally different experience. I was really, really glad that we did that movie and I would watch that again in a heartbeat. <laughs> I feel like I kind of like got the experience, but it's just a really hard movie to talk about just because of the themes there of like child neglect and and there I think those have been not necessarily my least favorite movies but just my least favorite to record on mm. and talk about just because like it's really difficult but I think also like what we do here 
actually talking about those movies and like making people aware of those movies is really important. Like the, those movies are made for a reason, like actually to expose and they're not meant to like make you comfortable. It's not necessarily like my least favorite thing. My least favorite movie that we've done um, probably has been Open House, The Open House, just because it's just so stupid. Uh, <laughs> no. And it was hard to talk about too, not because of like, hey, how do we make a good conversation out of like an uncomfortable thing? But there just wasn't much to talk about. It was like, hey, there's a dude hiding and he snuck in on the open house and he killed them. <laughs> okay. That's the whole movie. That's fair. I would say yeah. that my least favorite was All the Creatures Were Stirring. Oh, that was, yeah. That was... <laughs> Which was a, I said a earlier Christmas about episode. like, not... yeah. <laughs> that's the other thing is like when we watch something that's like really bad, I just have a hard time like shitting on something like, and like we release this to the public and being like, you know, this, this movie really sucked. And like, but like the thing is, someone worked really hard in these movies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, probably a handful of people worked really hard in these movies. Um, at the same time, it's like maybe they should have worked a little harder. Well, <laughs> Zach, let me take your hat here, and I'm gonna be the the hated one by the audience right now because if I talk about my least favorite of all of them that you've covered, it's Insidious. I cannot stand Insidious, and it's really? because I hadn't seen it until about two years ago, and. I really, truly feel like if you don't see that movie when you're young, you're just not going to like it. It just, I don't know. It it doesn't play right for me. I don't understand why people love it so much. And I hear every movie podcast I ever listen to covers it at some point with so much reverence. And I'm just like, I don't understand. <laughs> I totally get what you're saying. If you watched it for the first time two years ago, that whole vibe, that aesthetic, that like way of storytelling is so played out now yeah right like it's just not it just seems so like old hat and back when it came out it was like it was jaw dropping oh i'm sure it was it it was very it was a very different climate than what we have now so i I totally get what you're saying i totally agree with it like if i had seen and like when we watched it again for the podcast i was like I don't know. It's like it doesn't hold up as well as I thought it did. Like I think Insidious Two is really important to like actually prop it up. Yeah, I I would actually agree with that. I think that Insidious Two is is kind of now a necessary addition to Insidious. Insidious <laughs> doesn't work as well if you haven't seen Insidious Two to kind of give the context and also because it serves as half a, a sequel, half like um uh uh what is it horizontal storytelling where you have an event that is happening simultaneously with the concurrent story, but it's being told for, through a different perspective or from a different lens. And so that movie having uh, now looking back, like a really weird time travel element. Um, I'm kind of like, yeah, that was a bit much. So <laughs> that's why Bo is afraid is three hours long. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I do want to say about Bo is afraid. Um, I completely understand you not liking it. I happen to love it, but I also know that that movie aggressively does not need you to like it. You know what I mean? Like that movie, I think, was put together with the idea of like most people are going to hate this movie when they watch it. But the people who lock into it are going to really love it. But especially if you feel anxiety, I think um, it's I don't know. it, It speaks to you a lot. Uh, There's a lot of things in that movie where it's just like I, I get the the underpinning of it I, I get the feeling of it but i wouldn't suggest that movie to anybody in my life that i know <laughs> like honestly i just know better 
I, yeah. I think most people are going to get irritated by like the first 25 minutes and tune it out. So, yeah, I think that you have to have a, a, a really strong tolerance for that kind of movie. Cause I, I also really liked it. I thought it was an, uh, a, a well done movie visually. The, um, the, the storytelling I think is good Ari Aster, but like the first 50 minutes of that movie, he does not leave his apartment. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, you gotta be you gotta be ready for that. And that was another movie that I watched first, just sitting on my couch, <laughs> totally isolated, and then went back to later because that was I, I I was the one that suggested that because I was like I watched this movie and I need to talk about it with someone. Um, and my normal go to person to talk about movies with is obviously um, Zach's brother in law Troy, uh, but he was busy, <laughs> so I, I made Zach do it. What's interesting is we actually had that plan for last season, right? We were going to do Bo's Afraid like earlier, kind of like when it came out. That was before you'd actually seen it. And then you saw it when, when you saw it, you're like, we have to do it this season. You're like, we, we got to do it. And I was like, you know, okay, it's Ari Aster. Can't lose. And I will go on record and say, I like the, I like the movie. Um, I also hate it. <laughs> Understandable. Just, yeah. Like you said, it's, not meant to be liked it's not asking to be liked and all my issues with it really are that just feels like Ari Aster's spiraling um we're starting to spiral and we've seen it with M. Night Shyamalan right where it's like these all kind of just become the same and it's it's something where I'm just really looking forward to like we will absolutely do his next movie on the podcast um whatever that may end up being but I just really hope it's like something completely different maybe not even horror we'll still cover it what the hell? <laughs> we should do a double feature with Bo is Afraid and Saltburn. <laughs> um, I think what, you know, we talk about all of our kind of like favorite movies that we've watched for the podcast. Um, and it's not a least favorite thing by far, but I did realize um, when doing the Dracula uh, chain of movies that we did or the vampire movies that you can really run into a lot of fatigue of doing those same movies over again. And I talked to Zach about it that, by the end of that, I didn't feel like I was really adequately talking about uh, the vampiric aspects of them because I was getting kind of tired with the the vampire lore with all of them. And I find that it's really interesting for me that I had such a fatigue for the vampire theme where I didn't feel fatigue when we did the Christmas movie set or when we did uh, the Alfred Hitchcock set, like those those like themed kind of clusters of movies didn't have that same impact on me and it was to the point where it was like by the end of it, it was like man i don't i don't know if i want to do like another set of all similar typed movies again because i just felt like i was running out of ways to say the blood sucking's a metaphor like that's <laughs> i was just like running out of ways to talk about that aspect of the movie which is of course the important part of the movie because it's vampire movies i kind of ran into that in the 90s there was this little run where just vampire movie after vampire movie came out we had like the same year brom stoker's dracula john carpenter's uh vampires and something else like everybody kept putting their name on the top of it and i was just sick of it and there is this adage that somebody came up with that i've noticed is relatively true um it, it's kind of falling apart now but if there's a democrat in the white house there's a lot of vampire movies 
And if there's a Republican in the White House, there's a lot of zombie movies. And somebody equated it to uh, like with the, with the vampire thing, it's kind of almost like a metaphor in the back of our head of like it tends to be this elitist person that kind of wants to suck you dry. And so that's what the public doesn't want. And then with the zombies, it's the unwashed hordes coming for you. And uh, I, uh, um, and, and in the 90s, it was a lot of vampires is, is what I'm getting at. But uh, eventually I started to get into them in a normal degree you know what i mean like not not pounding them but vampires is the thing i can get sort of sick of easy because they've been there my whole life mm -hmm. uh, zombies i'm just tapped out on right now i don't know if i'll ever watch a zombie thing again other than maybe romero films but uh eventually i'll probably be fine but they just drain that well for so long with zombies i just cannot stomach a zombie movie right now i'm just i'm just tired of them Oh man! You're also not going to have a movie that has like a really charismatic main zombie, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Except for Warm Bodies, I guess is the exception. Right. <laughs> well, I don't know. There was a zombie overlord in Zack Snyder's uh, War of the Dead or Army of the Dead. That one had, but that one, but it's also like for for zombie movies. I don't know, but there was also like it had a it had like a a mutant baby. It was Army of the Dead is not a movie that i liked um with with zombie movies they always cast obviously like a horde of zombies and and whatnot and a lot of the times you're looking for personality in the zombies and i think personality does help to tell those stories but it's always like hey let's just get the buffest guy that we can to be the main protagonist and then the next movie's like hey what if we got a buffer guy and then the next one is we need to outdo them. What if we got a pro wrestler and it just kept spiraling. And so you're like, am I watching a zombie movie or am I watching like, am I watching like a reel, like a demo reel, <laughs> like a bodybuilder demo reel? <laughs> Cause at the end of it, like army of the dead, I just, nobody had a personality. Nobody felt like a character that I wanted to care about. Maybe that's the point. They're all zombie. Uh, who's the real zombie? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is, is Zack Snyder kind of at fault for that with the zombie thing? Because I think back to his remake of Dawn of the Dead and I you know. get a couple of really buff dudes. And it seems to be a thing after that, because what I remember was you wanted spry people in zombie movies before yeah. you wanted people that could run and then a couple people to panic and then a couple of people to to flip out. And that was what you needed to make your zombie film. But you're right. They're just getting bigger and buffer and more slow motion. And yeah, we. We moved from in zombie movies intelligent protagonist to strong protagonist. And and like that's it. Uh and I I do I don't necessarily think that Dawn of, Dawn of the Dead is to blame for that because I think that Dawn of the Dead did a relatively good job of balancing out the different characters. You had the pregnant woman, uh you had like you know, the mall security, you had the whole scene with the them golfing on top of the roof to like, there was at least some sort of altruism in the actions of the main protagonists. Whereas in especially army of the dead, there's not really an altruism there. The, the whole point of that movie is like, Oh, it's a heist movie in a zombie universe. 
so then the heist is giving them an excuse to kind of go on like a zombie killing rampage, which isn't, which immediately takes away a lot of the flavor and a lot of the kind of suspense that I think zombie movies have. Cause I find that zombie movies work best when you don't see the zombies coming, like when it actually has a true horror element to it. And I always think about like Dawn of the, uh, not Dawn of the dead, George Romero's night of the living dead. Like the reason that that movie is, scary you have the shambling dead outside but you also have the very slow method of them getting into the house and finding out at the end of that that it was in the house all along it was just in the basement that there were people that were infected and that makes it so much more terrifying and so much more i think likable as a a compelling story that and there's like no defense you know i think that there's this like in modern zombie movies, I think there's like, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but like, there's this hope that comes along with it. It's like, there's the big buff dude, he'll take care of us, you know? And in Night of the Living Dead, it's like, they're all just desperate and they all die. Everyone dies, except for, you know, the, the police force or whatever. Um, that the like, militia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like this really, like, it leaves you empty at the end of it. I think it's so effective. Um, and that's like, I think what a lot of these modern ones are missing is like, oh yeah, ever, you know, ends up okay. And they like, they live on and blah, blah, blah. And then not that, you know, I want to see every movie end the same way, but they're missing some of the nihilism. It's a zombie apocalypse. (laughs) Like everyone's a zombie. (laughs) And I think that when you can tap into that nihilism to tell a compelling story, that's when you get good zombie movies. Like I, I, I thought Cargo was actually a good zombie movie. And the the reason is because there really aren't that many zombies. The point of the zombie, though, is that it creates this pathos between the main character and the daughter that he's trying to get to safety before he turns. So you have that, like, constant looming uh, n- knowledge that he's going to turn. So then our attention is focused on, is he going to be able to get the daughter to safety first? And so it gives you something to still care about, but knowing that it's not going to be a happy ending because your main character is still going to die. I don't think that you can have like a truly happy ending in a zombie movie and have it be effective, except for maybe Shaun of the Dead, which did kind of have a happy ending and I thought was fine. I, You know, it's, it's interesting you say that because it has an ending that leaves you smiling, but I don't know that it's happy. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is that Sean goes right back to the behavior that he had to break out of in that movie, which is like, I'm with my friend, I'm going to go to the bar, I wake up, I'm with my friend, I go to the bar, I wake up, I'm with my friend, I go to the bar. And he goes right back into that cycle. And you look at TV after everything breaks down and they're watching the reality show thing where they're hitching the zombies. And it's funny, but it's also like sad because you're like, we've learned nothing from any of this. And I'd say that bears out after 2020. Like we've yeah. learned nothing from the pandemic as a society. Absolutely. Like we had this this giant thing where we really should have restructured a lot of things in terms of our priority. And I kind of feel like we didn't. So I think it's also prescient too. Like that movie's smarter the older I get when I when I look back at Shaun of the Dead. And it's such an important start to that Edgar Wright trilogy too, because it's. I think that there is a a really important kind of cyclical nature to all of Edgar Wright's 
movies in that um, Shaun of the Dead, he goes back to that same behavior. Um, the same thing, too, in uh, Hot Fuzz, actually, because he takes himself too seriously at the beginning, and then he goes through this process of kind of lo- loosening up and, and making friends and being friends. And then, actually, you think that he's going to kind of become you know this like looser more relaxed cop but it it kind of circles back where he pulls somebody else into his overly serious lifestyle yep and and then uh the third one of the coronado trilogy i'm spacing on the name right now but they're in a bar this is the end or and the end (sighs) of the world something like that yeah um anyway so it's like simon Pegg's character is just he's reliving high school every single day and just so bummed out that his friends aren't there with him and he needs to break out of that cycle. And I've actually heard Edgar Wright talk about it because I searched it out for a podcast. And he said that after he went and did the show spaced, he went back to his hometown and everybody was doing the exact same thing and talking the exact same way and treating him as if like nothing had changed and they were just, and with each of those movies he did, he would go back and see they're getting sadder. They're getting, they're getting like drunker and like falling apart more, but they still haven't changed their mindset. They still haven't tried or reached for anything in their life. And Mm -hmm. so you can see how that gets progressively sadder as you go through those movies. Like they really do hang together as a trilogy. If you kind of realize that it is about people not changing just going through the same cycles over and over again it's really creepy actually (laughs) (laughs) totally proving your point (laughs) but but that's not to say i think that you can still do a good zombie movie i think that there are ways to still do them i i actually really liked pontypool Uh, i don't know if either of you have seen pontypool but it's it's a, a a zombie movie where you only see a little bit of the zombie action um it's this guy who's like a he's he's actually a conspiracy theorist but he works for like uh, a canadian a canadian like local radio station and so he's like talking on the phone and their their weather guy and their traffic guy who is pretending to be in an <laughs> who is pretending to be in a helicopter but is actually in his car uh, is like talking to him and reporting on everything that they're seeing. And so his like reporter guy is telling him all about this like zombie apocalypse that's going on outside. So you never actually like see a lot of the carnage that happens. You just hear it and you just experience them locked in this radio station as it's happening outside. So obviously sound is very important. And so it's the it's the sound of a zombie apocalypse rather than like the constant visuals of the zombie apocalypse. Uh, it's that I, one scene from The Fog, but a whole movie. <laughs> yeah, which I, I really liked. Uh, I thought it was good. I think that the end of that one was not as good <laughs> because uh, without uh, without giving away spoilers, the way that they like find the air quotes cure to the like zombie virus zombification of the of the people and the way that they like hide from the zombies is real dumb <laughs> and so you, you uh you, you gotta that's a movie i highly recommend to anyone but just know that it takes a turn that's a little strange <laughs> i'm always a fan of the zombie movies where like they have really 
terrible endings, but it's like this is a realistic way in which you would like returning Return of the Living Dead. They nuke the the town. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like they just wipe it off the map, and you're like, oh no, it's so depressing. But it's like uh, that was kind of necessary. Like the only reason you feel badly about that right now is because you watched an hour and a half movie that made you like feel for these characters that yeah. you watched for an hour and a half. And otherwise you'd be like, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. It's also hitting on all the things that we loved in the eighties in our genre film, which was you had the military that was worried about communists. So they developed this whole thing, right? So you got the communist and then you've got the environmental, uh, like acid rain thing, like acid rain was just starting to happen. And so they were really worried about it. And so it makes things worse. And then you get nuclear war in there, which was also something we were understandably very, very scared of. And I feel like people should be a little bit more scared of nowadays. <laughs> but yeah, it's like those three things are all in Return of the Living Dead. But I mean, that movie was not huge. That was another one like Reanimator where it was like I saw it and I was like, has anybody else seen this movie? And thank goodness for the Internet, because then I realized like, oh, yeah, lots of people have enough to where it's got like a Criterion Blu-ray, which is nuts. But mm -hmm. yeah, I think it deserves it. Yeah, quite honestly, it it has such a a special place in, in my heart in terms of like zombie movies. And I do think that Herbert West does a lot for that. Uh, that's another that's another series where like if you just took the first movie and honestly if you just took the first and second movie you can you can go a long way with those two. Um, after that it's like let's 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 pull it back a little bit like let's let. I mean let's, that's literally any franchise, right? Yeah, obviously, yeah. There, there are exceptions, of course, but it's like once you hit three, it's like come on I, I, some yeah. sometimes there's like the second one actually heightens the first like i feel that way about insidious obviously we already talked about that mm -hmm. hellraiser i think hellraiser 2 is like actually a better movie than hellraiser i might get fought on that but like it is in my opinion a superb movie uh so it's like it's interesting how that happens sometimes but i feel like three like hellraiser 3 it's like wow we really just it, it becomes <laughs> it took a turn for the worst. Yeah, it becomes like everything else in the eighties. Not everything else, but everything popular. Like they were just chasing that popularity at that point. Um, mm -hmm. I I like the first Hellraiser better than the second one, but I expect I uh, respect the opinion because I do think it's like a really thought out sequel where they were trying to expand things and actually do something slightly different and i i always appreciate that with the sequel where they're not just saying like all right more of what we saw in the first one like when they're actually trying to make another movie uh, i always appreciate that one so i thought the second one was pretty good yeah the third one is just trash it's just awful well, that's, that's the other thing is like when i was watching i think it was like a year or two ago i was like watch just doing a watch through of all the hellraiser movies that it's just so impressive how they like they took this idea of the Leviathan and like the configuration and like, you know, how that it's it's all like this lore that's behind it. And they really like built it out and really meaningful climax. And then in the third one, it's like, let's just uh, crumple that up in a ball and throw it in the trash. And we're going to go back to square one. And it's all going to be like gritty and blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, this like really beautiful thing happened in the second one that you could explore even further. And like Clive Barker's mind is ripe with those kinds of things is like we, we have so much that we could pull from and then you do this and I, I think that was the problem with that series is they went away from clive barker for the third one because i think he wrote the second one he wrote and directed the first one 
the third one, they're like, see you later. I think they brought him back for the fourth one, but I never actually watched that one. But that's a series that's real aggressive if you try and get through it because there's a lot of them. And I think by like the fifth one, they were literally just like, we've got this horror script. Uh, it's cheap. So why don't we just throw Xenobites in it and make it so that we can keep the rights and sell this off someday? And that's what they did for like six movies. So it's it's a real aggressive franchise to get through. Like yeah. as soon as I saw that turn in part three, I was like, yeah can't hang with the same way i did watch the reboot i enjoyed it okay you know it's better than most of the hellraiser sequels other than two I, I do the, think two is better the hulu one yeah from a few years ago yeah that one was good i liked that one it felt like to me somebody who really liked and appreciated the hellraiser franchise got a chance to do a hellraiser movie and that they were doing it reverently and not for the money of the Hellraiser. Because yeah. I think that I think that what helps best when you need to reboot movies like that, you can't be in it for the money, which I know is a wild thing to say. You <laughs> have to be a fan of the originals. And if you're not a fan of the originals, I just don't think that it works. And so the I I, I get the same thing with um Prey, the inter the the predator movie that they also did for hulu which i think was a pretty good movie and was clearly done by a fan of the predator franchise that wanted to do another predator movie yeah yeah i agree with that um and and what's interesting is prey is basically a story that they had in the comics but they did not use natives uh i can't remember where it was but it, it took place further in the past but it was the same basic idea and then clearly somebody who's just like a big fan was like, this story is great. This will work great as a Predator movie. Hey, let's take out a lot of the veiled racism that's runs all throughout this series. And uh, I, I think they did a pretty good job with it. Yeah, I think you're right about that, Matt. I think you got to have some love for the thing. If you're carrying a franchise and like franchises matter in horror more than any other other genre. For because sure. like you said, you know, Hellraiser 2, you like it better than Hellraiser 1. That's just not a normal thing to say in other genres of of movies, but it's a common thing in horror movies. I mean, I love Army of Darkness and Evil Dead 2 way more than I love the first Evil Dead. And I only love the first Evil Dead because it's kind of tied in with the other two. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it, it gets there because uh, there's one or two fun scenes and then the rest of it is just because, like, I feel like watching a trilogy but like that's that's just horror where you can get away with that where the first one is like all right and then you put out part 2 and you're like this is so much better and the fans will recognize it you don't mm -hmm. see that with like dramas or like really any any other genre of movie you don't run into a lot of like sequels in other in other franchises like what are they going to do for titanic 2 right well <laughs> They made it. <laughs> That's not the best example. <laughs> but they, but it was a movie that they, they were like, you're, hey, you're let's right, capitalize right. on this. Or like what? Love Actually 2. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work in any of those. But I think that, you know, a big selling point for a lot of those movies is that they have an extremely final ending. Like Made in Manhattan, they get married at the end. Like what are they going to do after that? And that's just my go-to. Divorced like, and married again. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like, oh, hey, that's what they did with uh, Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> so 
Phantom of the Opera and then Love Never Dies, where she was just like, actually, I don't like the Phantom anymore. Raul, I want to get back together. And then there's like a carnival. So it just doesn't work there. I am so glad that you brought up Evil Dead because that I think I was like our 11th episode or something. It was like really early on. You can tell that I hated the movie yeah. the whole time that we're recording. And, and I still do not care for that movie. But this is another one. I think I was, I was on my paternity leave and watched Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. And I was like, I get it. I get it now. I'm actually like, Matt, if I could go back in time, you're like, we're going to do Evil Dead. That obviously was Matt's suggestion because I had no idea. I would have been like, no, let's do let's do Evil Dead too. But like to, oh, to tell someone who's never seen Evil Dead, you know, we should do this the second one first. <laughs> it's like that's ludicrous. That makes no yeah. sense. I saw them backwards because oh. I didn't know about Evil Dead or Evil Dead Two, and nobody I knew in my entire life knew about Evil Dead or Evil Dead Two. Like it just it wasn't available anywhere. It wasn't on TV. It was like blacklisted. From so you a saw bunch Army of, of Darkness first. Yeah. Yeah, because okay. it was on Stars That's in fine. like 1993, and then I saw it no less than 50 times. And at somewhere around the 40th watch, somebody told me, "You know, this is an Evil Dead movie." And I was like, "What is Evil Dead?" And uh, I searched out Evil Dead too, and then eventually I had a friend from New York who moved to Montana who had a VHS copy, so I like copied it and then showed it to all my friends. And then another five years of searching for Evil Dead. And when I finally saw it, I was uh, visiting my my mom in Coos Bay, Oregon, and we went to this video store and I walked by the horror section. I was like, oh, my God, they have it. And then I watched it and then could only tell my friends about it because we'd all been searching for it for five years. And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't slightly let down because I went from like this comedy fantasy to this like comedy horror I really thought Evil Dead, like, it's going to be so funny and scary. And it was, like, just a horror movie. You know what I mean? So it's it's always going to be my least favorite. Th- but it is funny because there is that delineation with every Evil Dead fan. I feel like there's one where they're kind of like, I don't know about that one. But these other two are great. And it's never the, the same two. You know? <laughs> running through the forest with his camera. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you know of... Do you know of the Japanese remake of Evil Dead? No, but I saw the musical in Vegas, but I did not know about this. There's a Japanese remake of Evil Dead from 1995. There are actually three uh, because there's, oh, there, there's Evil I, Dead I take it back. Trap. Mm-hmm. I, I did hear like I did see it on a streaming service and I looked and saw it wasn't official. At least the, the Evil Dead I saw. So I didn't watch it. But are you saying that it is a remake? No, no, it's not official. It's just like they ripped it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's Evil Dead Trap and Evil Dead Trap Two, which are also like Evil Dead knockoffs. But then there's Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell, which is just Evil Dead. Please just... keep this so in I... the episode because I want to remember <laughs> these so I can watch them. <laughs> Like a like a couple of weeks from now, uh, just writing down the things that you're saying in this. <laughs> it's like a voice memo, but like a time capsule at the same time. Should we get into some games? So I guess I'll just start with yours in horror one. So I've got five different years that I've picked out, and I have three 
horror films for that came out in that year for each one. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll list three horror movies. You tell me what year they came out. And it's okay if you're wildly off. If you're like in the decade, great. <laughs> if you're like within three years, amazing. So a, a lot of these are ones that we've done before. So maybe, maybe uh, Biggs, you'll be at a, at a disadvantage. I'm pretty good at remembering years of movies. So if it's one I've seen, there's a good chance I'll get it. And but, I okay, am not. <laughs> well, don't base your answers off of his. All right. <laughs> so the first one we got uh, Black Christmas, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, and it's alive. Okay. Well, so they're all in the same year. Oh, oh. So what were Texas Chainsaw Massacre is in there? Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's alive and Black Christmas. Oh, then I'm going to say like seventy four. <laughs> Okay. See, I was almost like his black because Black Christmas obviously came out before Halloween, but how many years before Halloween? I want to say it's like 1972. Biggs, you got it right. Yeah, 1974. Because <laughs> I typed Texas Chainsaw Massacre parentheses 1974 for an episode of a Cosmic Void. So <laughs> once I do yeah, that, it's go. just in there. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's why one of these one of these other ones is a kind of a gimme. So. Oh, yeah, I guess we probably should have done that for our Texas Chainsaw Man. Oh, whatever. No, we're fine. <laughs> well, that was actually, was that before the, like, the new one came out? I think that it was before that new one came out. So, yeah, fine. which I liked, actually. I mean, I, I, well, I mean, we know how I feel about the original, so we're not going to go there. Okay, so this next one, remember, all, all three of the same year, Trick or Treat, the, the anthology, 28 weeks later. And I am legend. Mm. Matt, you go first because I think I know this because I just did this episode for Cosmic Void. Did you do I am legend? Yeah. I should I should have checked that. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Do you want me to throw some more in there to confuse you? Okay. Because okay. I got a few more that came out so this year. It's it's early t- so it's early two thousands. I'm gonna say it's two thousand and two. I'm gonna say it's two thousand seven. It's 2007. <laughs> so, Matt, the the other movie that we did with Jerry originally, Inside, yeah, came out in 2007. Uh-huh. Wreck also came out in 2007. I didn't want to do that one because that would have been too easy for Matt. And then also the Sweeney Todd, the, the Johnny Depp. Uh, Tim Burton. I would have gotten that one because I knew that Sweeney one. Sweeney Todd. Because I did the I, That's one. why I left that out. Yeah. The, just fun facts. Those also came out in 2007. It was a big year. Great. Yeah. Uh, I love that. No, it's fun. So next, I'm good. Next, at- we're obviously going retro. Well, you know, this is just. What year did Mozart die? How about that? <laughs> Ask me that. <laughs> Do you want to know what three composers were born in 1811, Zach? Because I know. <laughs> That's good. I don't think I can name one. <laughs> A composer, like at all, or oh no, no, like there's movie composers I could totally name. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this next one is going a little more retro, obviously. Uh, So we got the Curse of Frankenstein, Attack of the Crab Monsters, and I was a teenage werewolf. I'm in trouble. I haven't seen any of these. (laughs) Uh, Curse of Frankenstein was was relatively later. I actually want to say that this might be in the early. 50s because Abin Costello Abin Costello meet Frankenstein was like 52 yeah I'm gonna say that Curse of Frankenstein was 
Can I just throw out mine while you're thinking? Uh, yeah, I'm going to say it. 55. I don't know any of these, but they sound like 50s movies to me. So uh, I don't know. 55 sounds good. Yeah, I'm going to say I'm going to say 1953. 1957. Mm. Actually. We're in the vicinity. But, I mean, you guys are you guys are closer than I would have been. So I'm glad I, I wrote this one. <laughs> I knew that Universal Monsters had to be done for Curse of Frankenstein to come out. You know what I mean? Like they, yeah. they didn't really do that stuff until that initial run burned out. Yeah, and I mean, Evan Costello, me Frankenstein is uh, one of my all time faves, and I knew that it it was like a big turning point because it all of a sudden sort of commissized all of the monsters. It made them it it really was taking the sting out of the the horror aspect. But the I, I was a teenage werewolf is such a teeny bopper nineteen fifties kind of movie in general so that was a michael landon joint right i I think i I remember that because when i was a kid he was on little house on the prairie and highway to heaven and was always like he was in that horror movie like we could never really square that okay so this one might be a little bit of a gimme but uh the blair witch project stigmata and the sixth sense i know this one in my bones do you want me to go first matt so you can get it it, right is it 1998 (laughs) Oh, no. you're so close. It's 99, right? It is 99. Yep. Yeah. I was, I was going to guess. I knew when I put the six cents in there. And I mean, like Blair Witch and six cents. Like. All three of those I knew off the top of my head. Those were those were like the three of the biggest movies uh, with my friend circle in 1999. That that would definitely change over the years for all three of them. But at that time. That, I'm getting closer. Like one, I'm getting one year closer yeah. each time. That was, I mean, again, that that's I probably would have gone with '98 if the Sixth Sense hadn't been in there. Like if it was just the Blair Witch and Stigmata. Biggs, how do you feel about Stigmata? I'm interested to hear. I haven't rewatched it. We thought it was amazing in '99, and I have not watched it probably in like 23 years. So uh, I can't okay. give you a great thing but i all i can really remember was like was it patricia arquette like uh having the hands bleeding on the train that's all i can really remember about it so i can't really <laughs> sum it up so well but this, everybody the, talked about it it was kind of like the prophecy that i i think that the image of stigmata is woefully underused in horror movies not enough movies do like scary religious hand stuff <laughs> <laughs> Does Saltburn do any scary religious hand stuff? I'm just curious. Yeah. I haven't seen Actually, yes, there is. <laughs> yeah, St- Stigmata, I don't know. I, I'm very conflicted with it because I think there are, it's so unbalanced with the acting is what I will say. Um, there are a couple of people who really carry that movie and there are a couple of people who like are just dragging it into its grave, in my opinion. Um, so, anywho. Uh, this last one is we got the Curse of La Llorona, In the Tall Grass, and Doctor Sleep. I know this was before the pandemic. I'm sure of it. <laughs> so I'm gonna say 2019. I heard 2019. Matt, what did you say? I said oh, 2018. Yeah. <laughs> 2019. God, it was 2019. Oh man, Midsummer also came out that year. Again, like I was trying to avoid just giving it to you. The Lighthouse also came out. This is a big year. I love The Lighthouse, yeah. too. I do, too. And Annabelle Comes Home. 
um, also came out. So if you, you know, and I, I literally well, fell asleep to that movie earlier today. That's not it's scary. Not, no, it's not great. <laughs> it's very it's much like, like we're going to talk about mythology of this character and they kind of forget to be scary a lot. Yeah, I, I just I need a I've been hurting for like a good scare lately, like a good scary movie that has big jump scares. That's the uh, that's what I want. I just need like a good. Jump I want to watch. I want to see the new Godzilla movie really bad. Me too. Godzilla minus one. I've heard it's like. Yeah, yeah I've heard it's like really good. Is it horror? I don't know. If it's, I mean, I'll it's a monster it's movie. Horror. Probably. I, we we're right? just talking about movies. Yeah, I mean, like you could say. On a technicality, we could really... put it in horror. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure we would call it horror just to talk about it on an episode. But yeah, like Saltburn, you could technically call it horror. It's not. So this game is a game that I just straight up ripped off of Joe Dante. I heard a story about how Joe Dante does this at parties all the time. So he was the director of like the original Piranha and uh, Gremlins. And so his game is name the monster. And so essentially you hear the monster and then you say what it's a metaphor for. Mm -hmm. uh and so i've got three of them here i could whip out one or two more if we need to but i'm sure we're running long anyway i I love that director because all he wanted to do was just make scary little guys yeah he actually invented baby yoda too uh that was a scrapped prototype for the gremlins really are you messing with me (laughs) yeah it's like (laughs) yeah i was gonna say that story baby yoda uh, is not a scary little guy These are all these are all movies you've covered, so I, I'd imagine you're uniquely positioned to answer them. But uh, let's start out with Alien. Mm-hmm. Men. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, men. Men of the men of the monster. I'll I'll accept it. I, I, I've got fear of sexuality down because I think it's like a male and woman thing, but it's definitely like raping the egg and raping it out, right? Like, yeah. So I accept it. I also would have taken capitalism. capitalism. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the theme of a lot of our episodes. (laughs) What was the one? Squid Game. With a capital. Oh, yeah. The name. I I cannot believe that. No, I can't believe it. But it's so depressing that that's now a reality show where everybody's fighting for money. And it's this highly rated thing with the streamers. And it's going exactly against the message of the show i just the irony of it kills me and they haven't they have not yet uh as of the last time i checked they have not yet given the prize money to the winner really yeah wasn't there some girl that got like gangrene from some injury that she sustained from that show i didn't hear about that but there was like some lawsuit out yeah, it, it just sounds like it was a mess. Um, it's, yeah, again, like flies in the face of everything. That squid game. Yeah. But that's what, I mean, like it's an American reality show, right? So, mm. yeah. Capitalism. <laughs> Americans missing the point uh, of an Asian uh, movie or television show. Yeah. It's very American. Yeah. It's very American and very capitalist. People saw Battle Royale and thought, you know what would be cool if we made kids do this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're like, what if we just like put them in fancy outfits? Okay, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. What's the monster? Uh it's the meat industry. 
Well, yeah. Yes. There's another answer I'll accept as well. And it's one you didn't talk about on the podcast, but it's totally a thing. Generational trauma. <laughs> Being in Vietnam Omnivore? is the answer. Yeah. Oh, so, Vietnam. I did know that Vietnam was in there. Yeah. Did we, did we not talk about Vietnam? Not on the episode. Not that I heard. We must have cut it. Yeah. We definitely talked about it when we were recording, but yeah. Anyways. Okay. And then last one, the fog. I mean the church uh i would say that with the fog it's privately owned electric companies <laughs> i'll accept just, the church <laughs> listen i'm just saying it if if it, it i'm just saying if the municipality has control over it all those lights wouldn't have gone off <laughs> they would have still been on how do we know it's privately owned they do not make that like because, a topic of conversation because did you see one lineman out there working in that movie zach because i didn't it was it was a, a regional holiday. <laughs> That's then they'd get overtime. I'm sorry. Do you know how linemen work? Now, what was the first movie that you did? Alien. Alien. Okay. That's the only one that doesn't have a remake. Who's the villain in the uh the fog remake? Oh, I haven't seen it. I knew better about John Carpenter remakes. <laughs> the yeah, the answer is the writers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it actually wasn't that bad, but it's it's not good. <laughs> okay, well, I have one more game. <laughs> and this one is, I'm going to give one, two, three, four, five, six movies in six cities. Actually, let's do let's do three and three. You need three movies in three cities. You got to match the movies to what city they were filmed in. Filmed Sorry, in, not city yeah. that they were... Not that they take place in, where they were filmed. You make it so much harder. So... Yeah, I mean, it's going to be speculation, right? Unless yeah. Biggs just knows his stuff. No, no, no. I, I'm weak in this area. My answer would Dark always Knight? be Los Angeles. <laughs> Do I have the Dark Knight? Is the Dark Knight on no. there? <laughs> it's Pittsburgh, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the first three we have, and remember these, mm -hmm. Child's Play, mm -hmm. Interview with a Vampire, mm -hmm. and Black Swan. Mm -hmm. Now, in no particular order, those three films... One one was filmed in each of these cities, New Orleans, mm -hmm. Chicago, mm -hmm. and New York City. All right. If interview I think with interview the vampire, with the vampire is New Orleans, right? If it's not New Orleans, I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna get be so upset with you. <laughs> you guys are you guys are both right about that. Okay. okay. So so it's Child's Play, Black Swan, Chicago, and New York City. I feel like you're more qualified on this, Matt, because. You live in Illinois. <laughs> yeah, I've never been like, to Chicago. It's in Chicago. Because like <laughs> my my assumption would be that Black Swan would be filmed in New York. I mean, my my instinct is New York for Child's Play, but that's only because I haven't actually sat down to watch Black Swan. So uh, I saw Perfect <gasps> Blue. That was close enough, right? <laughs> <laughs> Closer than I'd care to admit, but they're both amazing. <laughs> I'm going to go Black Swan, New York, Child's Play, Chicago. So I'll do the opposite. Okay. Okay. Matt is correct here. Oh, good Child's job. Child's Play Matt. was filmed in Chicago, Black Swan. It's funny because, uh, I think like Biggs, maybe you would have gotten it right then because, like, Black Swan also takes place in New York City. Like, it's like, I think the New York City Ballet or something. It's, 
No one's seen Black Swan in a while. Right. Um, <laughs> so I accidentally, I thought I was like putting together questions for this. And fortunately, I didn't pull any of those movies. But I ran into examples where it was like, I was like, oh, these are all New York. And like, none of them were New York. <laughs> like, they all took place in New York, but not a single one was filmed <laughs> in New York. So it's like, I, I am very aware from putting together a couple of these that like, it's just not a gimme for any of this stuff. Oh, there are so many cities that are used as like New York replicants. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, I have three more if you guys want to. Yeah. Keep going here and then Just we can hit, hit it. Let's do the three. What are they? Okay. So we uh, insidious. <laughs> All right. Mimic, and then the stepfather, and the three cities are L.A., mm -hmm. Toronto, mm -hmm. and Seattle. Boy, I think Mimic is the only one I've seen. I'm going to guess that's Toronto. Um, I'm going to start there. And then the stepfather, I have no idea. So I'll say, New was New York an option? No. I'll say Insidious is Seattle then. I Yeah, my only thing is I would, I, I would potentially flip those two. But I actually do kind of agree. I think that, uh, I don't know, because Insidious is I, it definitely not Los Angeles. It's not LA. I, I totally agree. It's I was thinking that Mimic might be in L.A. actually, because I don't think that Guillermo del Toro is welcome in Canada. <laughs> is it for something he did in Mimic, though? <laughs> Why do you say that? <laughs> for his crimes. Just... Of all the reasons, I was not expecting that. <laughs> Uh, truthfully, my reasoning is just knowing Guillermo del Toro's career. I was like, he was making movies in Mexico. And then I'm like, Toronto almost seems like the next leap before you go to Hollywood in a way. Like, I don't know. That that was just sort of where I was going in my head. I'm going to switch it up. I, so I think that Insidious was in Canada. And I think that Mimic was in L.A. And I think that s the stepfather was in the other one. The Seattle. Seattle. I was I was like thinking like it's Portland. <laughs> Portland, Oregon. Uh so you you each got one right. Okay. But you got a different one right. So Mimic was indeed in Toronto. Yay. Oh. Okay. The stepfather was in Seattle. Yeah. And Insidious was in LA. That's interesting, because they had like houses with multiple bedrooms. Yeah. It doesn't look like an L.A. movie, so they hit it pretty well. And it's just like, well, it, it, does it take Where is this supposed to take place? Because he's a college professor. He's not. And his wife's not working. She's stay at home. Well, I don't know where it's supposed to take place, but they filmed it they're not gonna be, in L.A. Because they're not going to be able to get. Like, they have. Those three, houses were multi-million. Yeah, houses. they have three houses in that movie. <laughs> like, they're not. I mean, to be fair. They're like taking care of a kid in a coma for like a year, and it doesn't yeah. seem like financially they're really worried about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. His reason for staying at work is not because of finance. He's not even a professor. He's like a he's like a high school teacher. <laughs> yeah, but he's in that weird. But he's in like a college auditorium style lecture hall. It's. I think it's like probably like a private school, which might explain it. But did they have lecture halls uh, in private school? Sure. I wouldn't know. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know. You have a kid. <laughs> I've done the... <laughs> that maybe Is this true? You have a kid? You just do all the research on like wh where they could possibly go for... Well, yeah. I figured that you'd be doing that work now. 
<laughs> and we got a few years before we have to, you know, worry about that. Okay. You know? That's how you can tell you're not from an affluent family. Like <laughs> you would have been talking about this before you had the kid. Yeah, she's going to go to Brown. <laughs> yeah, you have college mapped out because Zach's a legacy. This is the Seagull way. <laughs> yeah, really. Zach's a legacy, but did. it's at Chipotle. how dare you reveal my chipotle rewards membership (laughs) status (laughs) well it's a game i had good job guys uh you did pretty well all things considered so anyways jesus how do we even get oh because we're talking about the paint and revealing each other's secrets can we end this episode Thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of Watch No Evil. This is Matt. And this is Zach. And this is Biggs. And remember, there's nothing better than 100 episodes than 101. So join us next week when we talk about another stupid movie that Zach wants to watch. Uh, and You picked this one. Oh, then we're watching a good movie next week. And... <laughs> 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 and we won't talk about Zach's medical history. Check out all the podcasts brought to you by Redwood Sound Labs. Finally, a podcast that's dedicated to talking about your favorite sports movies. Whether you want to hear a breakdown of the plot, arguments about who's the MVP of the film, or crit and lit about it, you'll find it all on Fields of Glory. Listen to the show that will help you live a better life with your beloved pets. It handles topics like proper food, nutrition, positive reinforcement training, and more. Certified dog behavior consultant Charlotte Peltz welcomes your pet concerns and questions in the podcast Living With Your Dog. Zach and Matt are two horror movie enthusiasts of varying experience discussing horror movies through the scope of content, context, and comedy. They'll hit on the good ones and the classics, but they're really excited for the bad ones. Listen to Watch No Evil. Charles is a Purple Heart recipient and cinematographer. Aaron is a professor and critical cultural scholar. Together they explore the narrative, effective, and production politics of war cinema on the Real War Project. That's R-E-E-L, War Project. 